0: Welcome to Crossing Cultures. I am Sebas, your host from the Netherlands. In this podcast, I talk to people from all over the world about our countries and cultures in order to get a better understanding of each other's way of life. Welcome back to Crossing Cultures. I am today with... Hi,
1: my name is Natalia, uh, Natalia Vdovchenko. Um Yeah, I'm a Ukrainian student here in uh, Tilburg University. Um, yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation with you today, actually.
0: Nice, yeah. yeah. Um, Ukraine. Have you ever been there? I haven't been there myself. I... no. Is it worth visiting?
1: Of course. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? a question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh,
0: where do you? Where are you from?
1: I'm from Kiev.
0: You're from the capital.
1: From the capital, yes.
0: What is Kiev like?
1: Um, it's amazing. It's a pretty huge city. Officially, there are three and a half million people living, but I think unofficially it's actually more. Um, it's very ancient because uh, it used to be a capital of this really old. Um, Slavic um uh, country um in the 8 in the 9th to 13th centuries I think and, uh, and so how can how yeah. ca-
0: can you how can you see that in the you in the structure see of the city
1: in um in the culture that's still left for example some ancient churches uh, and just the way the city is built actually
0: I saw uh, indeed some pictures of Kiev because mm-hmm. I did a bit of research Okay, uh, <laughs> and they have like those very nice golden roofs. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know what that <laughs> was. <laughs> yeah. what, what, what are those buildings?
1: Yeah, those are some Orthodox churches because ever since um, those times, basically Kiev uh, was the spiritual center of the of the region. Um so we have uh, a lot of these sacred places and spaces and um people from around the area would just go there and uh, to pray.
0: I always wonder what is the difference between an orthodox church or religion. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know. But
1: some things yeah actually. Um I read about it last week, so (laughs) that's a very timely question. (laughs) (laughs) Because people keep asking me. So basically, Orthodox is older. It's an older form of Christianity. But also, um, the role of priest is less um, um, highlighted than in the Catholic Church, for example.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: Yeah. And also, you can see a lot of differences in like architecture, indeed, and the way the some customs as well, because since it's um, it's pretty ancient, right, there is a lot of uh, mixture between still some pagan traditions that uh, we used to have back in the days. Oh, really? And Christianity, yeah. Okay. Well, we are recording this just before Christmas, right? So, Absolutely. for example, for Christmas, um, we have <coughs> a certain set of traditions. For example, you cannot sit at the table before the first star is up. And then the first have t- star? Yes, first star.
0: Okay, Yeah. in, in the sky. Yeah, in okay. the sky. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then uh, at the table, you have to have 12 dishes. Not more, not less.
0: Precisely 12.
1: Precisely 12, yes. And then the first um, uh, dish that you have to take, you have to take three spoons of this um, thing called kutia. Which is a mixture of uh, like honey, poppy seeds, uh, wheat seed—not wheat, wheat. Yeah, yeah <laughs> the <seeds>. other wheat, <laughs> <laughs> the other one. Um, yeah, and some nuts, and it—it it, um, it is supposed to bring you a really nice and fertile and um, um, prosperous year.
0: All right, yeah. and um, is this also an inheritance of the Orthodox religion, or does it? yeah Is that's that's why,
1: that's why I say it's like a, it's like a mixture of of different traditions and cultures that uh, were um, there developing throughout the years.: Yeah, and and uh, th- there are different examples to it as well. For example, for we don't have carnival before Easter? Not at but all. No. You don't know <laughs> what know you miss. Okay. man. <laughs> I, I know. Oh yeah, you know you've been
0: living here for quite a while.
1: But we have our own alternative. It is a holiday called Maslana. Right. And basically it's like a butter week before the uh, before people start fasting. Uh, every day you have some um, you have to eat either some cookies or um, pancakes, cakes, something with a lot of uh, sugar and butter in it. Um, and also uh, a lot of like fall holidays. Uh, and the central squares are taking place, and people are dancing and singing, and it's nice. fun. But it's a different way of fun, and uh, we don't usually drink alcohol. I think those days.
0: So, because you told me um, just before the episode that you're going to Ukraine tomorrow um, or next week. Next week. Oh, yes, yes. next week, almost. Uh, that's for Christmas, I assume. Yes.
1: Yes. Definitely. So, so,
0: what's what? What are your plans? What are what do what does a Yeah, you just explained what what are you going to (laughs) do.
1: But uh, actually, a lot of people celebrate it not in December, but in January. So it doesn't uh, apply to all the Orthodox countries. But some of us have a different calendar.
0: Because what are the Orthodox countries? I have to know that first.
1: (laughs) Well, let's start with uh, Ukraine belarus russia bulgaria romania yeah the countries in the region basically
0: they all have their own form of christianity so to say do i say that correctly in the sense it's not uh catholic right
1: mm, mostly not
0: or is there also c- the catholic church also, also in ukraine okay we
1: have uh, quite a mixture as well but predominantly orthodox i think
0: okay that, that's the more dominant yeah, church yeah, sure. Interesting. Are you uh do you consider yourself orthodox?
1: Oh, that's a good question. And very personal. <laughs> very personal. I um would not go into details, but I think I I could feel really uh the influence of the orthodox culture and the society and also in um yeah, in personal life as well, I think. Because uh, even if you consider yourself religious or not, um the society that you grow up in, it carries certain values and those are often connected to religion. Um so yeah, what, I, what, I can really What feel is that. a
0: very important value in Ukrainian culture?
1: I think family. Family? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. Uh,
0: could you elaborate on that?
1: Um I think that we have a lot of uh, respect to our parents, grandparents but also i think family ties are more close because um because of the political and economical situation for example you cannot really rely on the government so you more rely on your family more and oh. parents have um, um parents try to help their children to kind of uh, yeah with education with uh with living etc cetera, etc cetera. but also when children grow up they start helping their parents of course and um, yeah, in, in the system of um, family relationships, you don't really, yeah, you do, you try to exclude this reliance on the government. So it's more like a give and take within the family.
0: Interesting, because I also talked to Bence from Hungary mm-hmm. and he also said there's a, that there's a general distrust in the government in, mm-hmm. in Hungary. Uh, would you say that is the same in Ukraine or you cannot compare it it's different situation both countries uh, have a different political leader of course but do you recognize some of that feeling?
1: Yeah absolutely absolutely Um, at least um, personally I come from a generation um, from the 90s when we started learning the real history so the things that were uh, done to Ukrainians during the Soviet times, for example, the the um, genocide, the famine, the repressions, the all the
0: war under um, Stalin, right?
1: Yeah, 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 under Stalin.
0: Ukrainians, or they were not yet Ukrainian? Were they already Ukrainians? Yeah, yeah okay, they were Ukrainians. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> they were, uh, they've <laughs> always, always been Ukrainians. <laughs> exactly. Okay, uh, they suffered a lot under yeah, Stalin, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really terrible, and also my family was really affected. And actually, um, not only mine. Whenever you're in Ukraine and you talk about this genocide, everybody has a story to tell from their family. Really? Because back in the day, um, around 10 million people have died, have starved to, de- uh, starved to death.
0: 10 million people. Yeah. And that
1: some some sources say it's up to till 15, actually.
0: And is the genocide the same as the famine? or is it
1: Yeah yeah it's the same one yes yes Okay yes.
0: Can, you, can you maybe shortly explain what happened
1: Yeah definitely um basically um during the 1932-1933 uh food was taken from uh Ukrainians which is pretty crazy because Ukraine has this really fertile land and yeah. this y- that year uh there was something with weather conditions so Already, something went wrong back with uh, how it was naturally, um, yeah, how it happened naturally. But even those things that people had, people still could collect the pe- the, the food that uh, they have gathered in the previous years, for example, even the seeds that they would use for planting something in the following years. Everything was taken by uh, by the Soviets. And um, this food was supposed to go to all the other Soviet Union, but actually sometimes it was just um, being rotten in uh, these storages. and warehouses. And the warehouses, yes, while people were really starving. And if you uh, would go into uh, the field and try searching for food, they would just kill you uh people were hiding um seeds like women were hiding them in their braids for example they were burying some pieces of food uh for for later but even that did not help and it was terrible because people were just uh, on the streets they were just dying they were just it, yeah it was really terrible uh, for example my grandma's family she was the youngest child and she had five siblings and parents. And within one year, she was uh, the only one left with her mother. So the whole family died, basically.
0: Wow. Yeah. All in that In time that period.
1: one year, yeah. yeah. It was only one year? Just mm-hmm. yeah, one year, but it was a really terrible year for Ukrainians.
0: All right. So is it safe to say that at that point, the, the crutch against Russia kind of started?
1: Mm, also, do before that as well. But, of course, we don't have uh, access to it from the stories of our grandparents, for no, example, okay, right? Yeah. So, even in this foreseeable story of my parents' generations, of my grandparents' generations, we already had that. We had some terrible uh, war conditions but that's I guess for for everybody in Europe those in those days we had uh, people being repressed for um, stating that Ukraine should be independent or for even sometimes speaking Ukrainian and promoting Ukrainian culture Uh, people were dying and uh, they were killed they were sent to Siberia to the camps Um, and then It didn't get better after that because uh, um, in the 90s we were left with a huge crisis and a lot of things were uh, going into private hands um, of the oligarchs, for example. And even when I was a child, we had the revolution. And then some years later we had another revolution and then a war. So it's a pretty um, pretty eventful region, I would say.
0: And the two... Protagonists in both story, in all the stories, are basically Ukraine and Russia.
1: I think in recent years, yes. Yeah, Yeah.
0: because uh, that's the question I was most curious of: what kind of relationship does Ukraine have with Russia? How would you describe that relationship?
1: Problematic.
0: Problematic. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think Ukraine's stance on it is that the country just wants to be independent um and <coughs> it does not necessarily mean that we would yeah want to be um a part of the eu or nato or other organizations i think the aim of the people is to be independent and uh, especially for young people um they would not want to have this dependency of, on russia for most of them of course there are different opinions in the society but, um, um, so they don't yeah. necessarily
0: want to be part of the EU, yeah, well,
1: kind of because it goes we, with it, yeah, there goes it goes with it, yeah. So, a lot of times, um, people just say, Yeah, you young people, you just want to be the part of the EU, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, yeah, it's it's a benefit and it comes with it because you kind of in this contemporary world, you still need to have allies. Uh, but it's not the, the first aim of the people, I think. The primary aim of the people. Yeah. If I can uh, mm. make such a conclusion yeah, from because, uh, what um, I see.
0: W- what I've read is that mm-hmm. there's definitely two sides in this whole story. I mean, you have the very broadly, mm-hmm. uh, the more people that live in the western part of Ukraine, which are more EU minded. Mm-hmm. Um, do you also consider yourself to be part of? That group?
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean I'm here <laughs> in the Netherlands. Right? No, yeah, I was <laughs>
0: guessing that as well. Yeah. But um just to be sure. <laughs> and 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 then you have the eastern part mm-hmm. and also the Krim, mm-hmm. the the island or peninsula I have to peninsula, say. Peninsula, yes. Um in those regions, so more, more those the eastern part and the Krim, they're the people consider identify more with Russia generally speaking. And they also there are also more people that speak Russian as a first language there. Is that how is that correct? Is it correct or not at all?
1: I think there's definitely some truth in it. However, it is a bit exaggerated. So this divide between Western and Eastern part and between Ukrainian language or Russian language, for example, is much more um promoted then it is actually um then you can actually experience it in real life. And this is something it's it's like a strategy it's like a media strategy, right? You kind of uh, implement this uh, conflict uh, embedded into the people's minds while the strategic
0: is it you think? Strategic, sorry.
1: I think it's 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 kind of beneficial for in the geopolitical world, for um, um, multiple actors, I would say, but of course for for uh, Russia as well, because the whole rhetoric of the Crimean annexation, for example, or for the um, yeah for the conflict in the east of Ukraine right now, which has been going on for almost eight years now. The yeah, yeah. Conflict, yeah. Uh, the, the whole rhetoric of that is to basically protect the Russian-speaking people or the Russians that um, live there, but um, there was nothing really to protect them from. However, we, this is very much a rhetoric of this, uh, the justifiable rhetoric for the invasions, for the helping the separatists, for example, etc.,
0: Yes, so to go back quickly, mm-hmm. uh, and for the listener that doesn't know what happened in these eight years, in the past eight years in Ukraine, can you maybe give a, like a chronological summary of what happened since 2014? So since mm-hmm. uh, the protest started.
1: I think protest started in 2013. 2013, okay. Um, like October, I think. Why? Pretty much. What did they? Uh, Ukraine the had to sign the trade, the free trade agreement with the EU, which would make us basically kind of a step closer to become a part of the European Union.
0: We even had to sign that or we had a referendum yeah, about that yeah. in the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you were already here? Uh,
1: not yet, but I was closely following. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> did you vote?
0: Uh, pff, I like for to me it was like my first Political action or Ooh. something in my life, and I didn't, I didn't know at all what this was about. Oh my! I was not aware of this no whole pressure. problem either, and just I believe some uh, famous persons in the Netherlands, they or politicians, I think they they didn't agree with this whole uh, treaty mm-hmm. that would include Ukraine more into the EU. Uh, but to me, at that point, it was like, I don't know anything about this whole subject. So I think I did a blank vote. I think that was possible. Because okay. you had to say either yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I said, <laughs> I, I, I just didn't feel comfortable like saying either yes or no. Uh, but So and even, even in the Netherlands mm-hmm. at that point, I think the Netherlands was the only country that yeah, did the referendum, the right? Country, because we yeah. basically stopped we slowed the process yeah right yeah. that was our role and i believe the outcome was negat- negative oh, negative yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. so yeah. that meant that we wanted you you didn't oh we didn't <laughs> <laughs> the, the the so the the treaty didn't happen
1: um, but it was a bit earlier oh so basically uh, like Something like a few days before it had to be signed. And Ukraine as a country has been working quite a lot towards this, to just be in this position to be able to sign it.
0: So It was a big thing.
1: It was super big. Yeah. The former president says, okay, we, we, we stop this. We stop this uh, cooperation with the EU. And from now on, we are going to work more closely with Russia. And that was big.
0: Yanukovych.
1: Yanukovych. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Viktor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You you did do your yeah, research. I did, wow. I did. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. <laughs> and um, I remember I was a student back in the day. And it started with students I in Kiev. In you Kiev. Were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were
0: there at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow.
1: I remember, it was so crazy, I remember how it it was just starting, I was doing my homework at home, and then then I saw this Facebook Live, and first there were 10 people gathering, then 100, then 1000, and basically in the following months, it was just um, getting worse and worse, actually. And uh, it started indeed with the students, but very soon it became very violent,
0: so it started off non-violent.
1: It started non-violent. Nobody really wanted any like a Gandhi protest. No, 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 not at all. And no, but a like Gandhi like ah, Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I heard Gandhi. Uh, oh no. I was no, like, "Oh no, wow." So like Mahatma Gandhi. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, peace uh, was uh, of course the it, it was supposed to be a peaceful protest. Mm, because when I was a kid, there was another revolution. That also lasted for a few months, but it was peaceful. And we still, uh, and people were still um, able to get to the point that they wanted to. So, us as children, the young generation, looking at how this can be done peacefully, I think a lot of people had this motivation to participate again, this peaceful action and um, get the country onto the original track. But, um, yeah, it it became violent. And then...
0: How did it become violent? Or it's maybe very hard to say that.
1: Mm, Yeah, I remember that day I was actually somewhere in the center as well. And you could feel like some heavy atmosphere, something in the air.
0: So you remember like one day in particular that the whole situation changed?
1: Yeah, and I started uh, seeing the special force um, um, worker-soldiers, I don't know how to call them, uh, gathering around the central square.
0: That was Maiden yeah how do you pronounce that Maidan yeah Maidan square okay wow yeah Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) it's not to show off but uh, uh, your pronunciation is also
1: really really good so sorry your pronunciation is also really good uh, thank you all the Ukrainian (laughs) things I heard from you so far okay yeah but um, noted yeah and uh, then uh, I went home I didn't feel comfortable and uh, it was getting late (coughs) And, uh, when I woke up, I checked the news and basically this, uh, this police force, the special force, they started, uh, surrounding the crowd and, um, the crowd mostly consisted of young people, of students, of, um, young men and women. And, um...
0: Non-violent,
1: non-violent, yeah, yeah. and then they just started beating everybody up. Also, journalists, foreign journalists, um, just everybody, and people had to run away and hide in the church uh, to somehow save themselves. There were a lot of injured people, and from that moment on, um, it basically turned uh, the all the events the following days in in two days. <clears throat> or the day after there was one day for the recovery for kind of social realization what has happened and um the next day one million people around one million people went outside on the streets they said oh you hurted our children and now you have to deal with us and for everybody it was like a crucial moment if we don't fight now then where goes our um freedom of speech, where goes our freedom, where do we go politically now or as never. a country. Yeah, now or never. Basically people were quite desperate to, um, yeah, to kind of participate after that, yeah.
0: Well, okay. So then the parents kind of uh, defended their, their babies.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, and th- and then um, how did this, well, it wasn't a protest anymore, it was just yeah, it was like war uh, on the streets
1: yeah it was it was really heavy i I have a lot of things to say about it. I don't know how yeah. much uh, yeah, yeah yeah okay
0: <laughs> spit up spit them out
1: <laughs> yeah um so in the center, all of a sudden, uh, there were barricades built to protect the protesting crowd um they it was it was something it was weird, right because if you were on the streets you could see that people really wanted peaceful protests. But there were some people, like, provoking uh, the police. And um, many say that these were actually people hired to do this so that police can justify... um, Beating you up. Beating you up, yes. Um, Yeah, there were... um, But there
0: were a lot of interests involved, right, in this? Mm -hmm. Because I also heard or red i think that there were also fascist groups entering this whole
1: yeah those were the people who provoked okay it. but thing is as a, just as a citizen in ukraine i hadn't barely heard about those groups before before that uh, protest like uh, they they were not really a part of the public sphere that actively actually just
0: popped up yeah. at that point.
1: Yeah. Very, very convenient uh, yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like no no conspiracy thinking, no. but uh, mm-hmm. you know,
0: yeah. suspicious. Maybe a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And um yeah it was crazy. I remember um once I um appeared in the wrong place at the wrong time because my university was in the center of the city as well. And my mother called me Natalia, where are you? And I told her, yeah, I'm just after my classes, you know, having a little walk, and I'm going home now. And she said, yes, you have to go home immediately. And the moment she said that, I was like, yeah, I mean, okay, sure, I'm going to metro now. So I'm going to metro, and it's closed. And in the city of uh, unofficially around 5 million people, right, um officially we remember 3. Yeah, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh if you close down metro the city is going to collapse. So and they close they they closed it just in front of me the central oh, station.
0: You, you literally saw the gate closing.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I turn around and uh, by that moment I already hear some explosions and some people shooting etc cetera, etc. Cetera. I look around and I see these men carrying other men, fully covered in blood. And um, I hear somebody screaming, Some some weird atmosphere. You don't know what's going on. You don't know where to go. I was with a friend. She took my hand and she told me Natalia this is our chance to go and defend our country we should go there we should go to the closer to this uh, shootings to the to this really violent events and we have to do something about it i told her you're an 18 year old girl <laughs> what can you do what can you do against some snipers who sit on the roofs and shoot innocent unarmed people yeah. Yeah. So, valid question. Right? I mean, yeah, what can you do? So, somehow we tried to run away and hide. We uh tried to go to another metro station. It was also closed. Then to another metro station, also closed. Basically, they closed all the um closed down all the transportation, all the public transport. All the public metro. But uh since uh, traffic jams then took over. The um, other kinds of public transport got also stuck.
0: Why did they do that, actually? What was the reason behind that?
1: Uh, so that people don't uh, come to the center and don't join the protest. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then I tried to call uh, taxi. They did not even pick up because it was, uh, yeah, it, the city just collapsed. I tried calling my parents. I couldn't because the major mobile um, satellite uh, companies. Yeah. They belong to oligarchs who I think at that point supported the pro-Russia. Yeah. So nothing worked. Internet didn't work. Whoa. You couldn't call your parents, you are stuck and it's a big city, so you cannot just start walking to your house and you also don't have a bike. You, you have you have nothing. Also as a student, it was I think um mm, January or February, it was cold, you have no money, you're you're just there, you don't know what to do, and uh, I had this logic, uh, okay, let's go and hide in the church, at least for now, they're not going to attack the church, right? So, I it's guess, sacred. yeah, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. right? Um,
0: that's what you think?
1: It, yeah, <laughs> that's what you hope? <laughs> no, but back then, it was really... Um, A shelter, a place of shelter. And I think we spent around six hours there waiting for the situation to kind of calm down or resolve. We hoped maybe at some point um, we could call our parents or maybe at some point um, the metro would start working again, etc. But no, nothing. And I don't know how, but Somehow that day I managed to get out of the center. My father picked me up, but it was also a story on its own. It was really hard to find each other even because the streets were so crowded. Like at uh, the at festival, you could not move freely even in the center. And a lot of people died that day. And in the following days as well, the first thing you do when you wake up is checking the news uh, seeing how many victims uh, were there last night, what did you miss? It was, uh, yeah, those times were really terrifying.
0: And, um, yeah, there were deaths, right? Yeah, and, of course. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah, that I can I can only imagine how it should have been for your country to be in, uh, yeah, what is it, it like, utter chaos. Mm-hmm. just uh because it's a revolution mm-hmm. uh I, i've never been in one i don't know if i should be happy with that or not um but yeah and the the day after uh, the or i don't know if it was the exact day after but the president fled right y- yanukovych
1: oh yeah i think that happened sometime around that or even maybe a little bit earlier he still lives in russia <laughs> yeah, so yeah. he fled to Russia. Yeah, he fled yeah. to Russia. Um, I think a lot of um, countries po- have put some sanctions on him, so he also cannot really move anywhere outside Russia. He's also wanted. Yeah, he still lives there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, I I do have kind of an idea of how it was because mm-hmm. uh, I told you I watched the documentary winter on fire
1: yeah that's a really good documentary that describes the events really well i think yeah yeah w- w-
0: yeah so it was accurate yeah it was well yeah it was yeah, real yeah. footage so
1: <laughs> yeah so you can you also have some images of uh what i've just told you about uh-huh it
0: yeah it was really like i said war on the streets yeah you could yeah. see guys f- uh, firing at each other yeah um, and
1: we also had this um so we had police or special forces kind of uh, trying to fight the people but also we had these groups of uh, either former prisoners or some kind of criminals or some just some sports people who need extra money and they were walking around uh, the city in small groups and uh, just putting some pressure and horror on the citizens, so they also don't go outside and don't try to protest, etc. And um, what the locals did, local uh, men mostly, they also formed the groups to also monitor the city uh, and um, yeah have peace because they couldn't um, hope for police at that moment anymore. protect them so it was up uh, to citizens to kind of form these groups and go outside and uh, do something and i've never seen so much social action ever in my life as those days yeah crazy yeah there were even people with cars you know um going through the streets and monitoring the streets and informing others okay there is this group on the street. Don't go there, etc.
0: Civilian surveillance.
1: Yeah, 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 basically yes.
0: Okay, so in in a sense, the protest protesters won this protest and mm-hmm. the revolution because the president left. But then in the aftermath, uh, something else happened, which is the annexation of the Crimea. Yeah. And. How did you experience that? Or how did people in Ukraine see that?
1: I can um, say from, like, personal perspective. Back then, it was just so surreal. You could not believe that this was actually happening. So, you were just done with the revolution. And then you have this other thing going on. Thousands of kilometers away. And you see how... um, I think they have put the russian flag on in the um uh, like a city hall or something like this and and this was one of the first signs that okay we we are actually as a country we are losing crimea right and Th- did it back then yeah, yeah it was just so crazy to realize because as a child you always go to crimea with your parents and oh. it's a really beautiful region it is um mm-hmm. Um, geopolitically important because has is is a harbor yeah, yeah 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 and especially like a, a big military base of russia right now but um yeah i you couldn't believe that this was actually happening and for me only when i moved to the netherlands only like after a year of living here i could fully realize what happened back in the day yeah. And I moved here in two thousand and seventeen. So a few years later, let's yeah, say. Yeah. Exactly.
0: It has to Yeah, to land.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even that was not the end to it, right? Because we also had um, the military conflict in uh, Donetsk and Luhansk starting afterwards. Um there were some regions under the risk of um um development through the same scenario but uh, the ukrainian activists and um, volunteers and uh, um, yes military people they could um, defend those areas basically yeah yeah
0: and and to this day uh, there's still a lot of conflict, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the war has been going on ever since.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's And it's crazy that uh, nobody talks about it anymore because whenever I go to Ukraine yeah. and I watch the local news with my family, for example, every day there are reports about new deaths, about new uh, military action, about new shootings. Every day, every single day. This is really the... Uh, yeah... It, it's dominating way. the daily yeah, news, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, indeed. Because, uh, to be honest, I wasn't really aware that it was still happening. Uh, I thought it happened back then, and then it kind of everyone moved on, or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but that's really uh, my blind spot, um, either because the media doesn't, Dutch media doesn't cover it, or that I'm not um informed well enough myself i actually until i did research for this podcast i didn't know that this war was still like going on just as heavily as it w- as it was um in 2014
1: yeah and even more it uh, keeps on expanding the territory occupied right now is more than Belgium, Netherlands, and maybe Luxembourg together. It's insane.
0: Yeah, and, and Russian troops are settling next to the Ukrainian border, right?
1: Yeah, as we speak now.
0: Yeah, as we speak, indeed. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know what's about to happen.
1: Yeah, me neither. And um, every time I have this feeling, right, when I go home, it's... A bit uh, tricky. Like, is it going to be a safe trip in that respect or not? Because they say right now that Russia might attack in January, and that they have uh, one thousand seventy-five thousand one uh, one hundred seventy-five thousand um, troops gathered around the border. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, is it only to impress?
1: U- Ukrainian
0: yeah, Ukrainian people or the Ukrainian government,
1: or the U.S. government, maybe, or the U.S.
0: got an EU as well. Probably, mm-hmm. it's very, it's a geopolitical statement, obviously. But yeah, the question is, what will happen with these troops? Is it yeah. just only showing your your it's guns? True. Yeah, uh, or well, we'll really, let's really hope it will not.
1: Um, I really hope that it will be, it will stay. Or it will be peaceful. I don't know. I really don't know what to expect at the moment.
0: Yeah. Very uncertain situation.
1: Yeah. But of course, it um, it, it always follows you. Even if you're living abroad, you always think about it and you always follow the news. And it really affects you as well. Because it's just yeah so sad to realize that your country has to go through this and all these innocent people, innocent deaths
0: yeah Yeah, i can imagine if it's your home country and you have a bond with all those people mm-hmm. through your own nationality
1: yeah
0: uh, no of course you don't want them to suffer okay yeah. um well so something totally different now
1: yeah
0: um <laughs> uh, i want to shift focus to uh, to the netherlands a bit and your mm-hmm. experience here mm-hmm. for the last 15 minutes yeah w- w- when did you arrive again
1: uh, four and a half years ago, so in 2017.
0: Okay. First impression at that time? You um, still remember?
1: It wasn't my first time in the Netherlands. Oh, okay. <coughs> yeah, I kind of, you know, I thought that I would come here specifically, so I visited the place before. I think some of my first impressions was were that the country was really organized, really clean, really... Uh, looked after, kind of, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? I
0: I know what you mean. Was it different in Kiev, for example? Because I also think it's a very clean city, right?
1: Yeah, but uh, even... Yeah, even in Europe, the Netherlands, I think, is one of the best countries to live in, probably.
0: Perhaps, perhaps. Yeah, uh,
1: and you can see it on the streets, but also in the way the bureaucracy works or just the... Yeah, just the whole social system, I think, is super highly organized and automated and digitalized. Definitely. Yeah,
0: Yeah. um, I think that's true. It's, no, yeah, it's, uh, I don't have much material to compare with, like, I've Mm -hmm. only lived in Mexico, Mm -hmm. but I haven't lived in any other European country for more than half a year, for example. But I think, no, yeah, we're well organized. I it's safe to yeah. say that. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. I uh-huh. think another thing that I noticed was um, the power distance at your workplace, or the even power a distance. Rest- yeah, power distance. So basically, in some countries, uh, many countries actually, if you are working with somebody and um, he or she is your or they are your boss, um, you can really feel it. Right? Hierarchy. Yeah, hierarchy. You would not go and uh, just, you know, drink coffee with them and chit-chat. You're lucky if you can do that. But normally <laughs> yeah. that's not the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here people are so open. Um, I'm working as a student and research assistant. So maybe it's also something with the academia or just this department here. But I really feel so wel- welcomed and supported by my colleagues uh, that's really amazing, I think.
0: Do you feel like you're on an equal level with them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. They would listen to you and uh, uh, actually uh, um, be interested in your opinion, while sometimes in maybe some other places, this is uh, this is a different kind of... Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I, I definitely think you uh, hit the right spot here, because in the Netherlands, we... We consider ourselves as a very equal society. Mm-hmm. Uh everyone that goes uh beyond or above the average, that also is a downside. <laughs> we don't mm-hmm. because we often don't wish each other uh to excel. Uh but that's what, that's another really? thing that I will come down to I will come back to that. Mm-hmm. But we see <laughs> each other as a as equals. Um so even when someone is your boss, we still think of each other as as the same. Uh, mm. The boss is no better than the employee. Yeah, that's, that's what
1: really w- precious, I think. Yeah,
0: so, so we we see ourselves as a very... No, I think we are as well a very non-hierarchical society. A mm-hmm. um, bit more though, or a bit less though than in Scandinavia, for example. I think it's even a step further there, but that's a different story. Mm. Um yet there I- it is often clear who is the boss. So it maybe in the daily daily activities you cannot really tell who's the boss. Yeah. Um it's kind of unclear, but at the point that real real decisions have to be made, it often becomes clear who mm-hmm. is the boss and um the boss likes to treat the employees as an equal, but at times when real leadership is needed, it becomes clear who's the boss, mm-hmm. right? So we try to behave as equals all the time, but when it's necessary, we we know who's the boss and the boss knows and mm-hmm. the employee knows. Interesting, um, yeah. So if y- you would have a conflict, for example, on the work floor, uh, and then then it will always be the boss who feels responsible to solve this whole problem or like i said when a real important decision needs to be made mm-hmm. uh, then it's then it's the boss who knows he's the boss uh, <laughs> but i agree with you on in if you look at it from surface point of view you cannot really tell who's the boss or who's not like yeah. the boss not sitting in a different room than the employees for example yeah. as you can see in the office the series when the boss is like sitting in a different mm-hmm. office, literally. True. <laughs> that wouldn't not easily happen. It happens definitely that people have their own offices, but usually we're all in the same sp- in the same working place, and yeah. So
1: I think you can also see it on a personal initiative. I think as um, um yeah, as a staff member uh, who is not in this uh, chair position. Yeah. Your initiative is also very important and it's like basically a part of your job as well to kind of be like, okay, I'm going to do this and this and this and uh, mm, telling to others, okay, I want you to do this and this and this for me and for this project that we're working on, right? So you have kind of more... You have a voice. Yeah, you have a voice. You have a bit more agency over your tasks, so to say, right? Yeah. That is also very unique to the Netherlands, I think.
0: Yeah, it also has to do with our individualism. Mm-hmm. So we appreciate everyone's humanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds very cliche, but... Uh, so we also would like to give everyone that voice because everyone diver- deserves to be heard in a way. So I think that's really, really true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so an employee, employee needs to be heard just as much as the boss. Uh, yeah. That's what we attach a lot of value to, to be heard, to, to not be ignored. Yeah,
1: uh, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: what I wanted to say about that, the downside of that equal society, we mm-hmm. also have a bit of, uh, how do you say that? We don't always support people who excel in certain things that are, that stand out. People that stand out, uh, not always get the support they deserve mm-hmm. or maybe need. Because we have this saying, Doe maar normaal, dan doe je ook gek genoeg. Which means, act you, norm." You know it? <laughs> yeah, oh, I can yeah? understand it. Oh yeah, yeah you know, have oh, <laughs> never heard of oh, it before. Yeah, <laughs> well it, it means, uh, you speak Dutch, but okay. Yeah, Yeah, bit. nice. Which means, yeah, act normally. that's already crazy enough. Uh that's a very Dutch saying. Uh yeah, I can feel that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> a bit.
0: Does this saying evoke something in you? Or like memories or that you think that's really Dutch or maybe not?
1: Mm, not necessarily, but also because um so far in my career I just had to do a lot of things as extra extra research, extra jobs, extra extra activities because Um, Yeah, I understand that I'm a foreigner in the Netherlands, so it's good to have some things on your CV. Uh, But overall, I think, yeah, I think so. Maybe because, okay, actually one of the cultural shocks mm, when I just came here was the importance of um, a group in the student culture. So, for example, fraternities, sororities, student organizations, uh, and the whole culture of networking, I think, is very important in the Netherlands. And, of course, to um, blend in, right? You, you, yeah.
0: Do we, Speaking of blending in, do you still feel a foreigner here in the Netherlands?
1: Mm. Of course, I mean, yeah, of course. Uh, I'm still learning the language and still um yeah so kind of getting to know the culture there are still some things to surprise me but i even don't know my (laughs) culture enough you (laughs) know
0: no i mean (laughs) i mean there's always things to explore so you're never done
1: yeah exactly uh but of course after four and a half years uh, you i really feel the influence of the netherlands and the dutch culture definitely also in um, equality for example in and those things that we just talked about about the working environment,
0: um, e- the sense of equality. How is that in Ukraine, for example?
1: I mean, uh, we're getting there.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, we're getting there.
0: So there's still a lot of hierarchy.
1: I think so. I think. But oh, you've is. never worked
0: there, or did you?
1: Um, for a short amount of time. But mostly, I even there I worked with foreigners, with international people oh yeah or at like school and teaching but it's of course also a different story right with the the hierarchy uh, situation position um yeah
0: okay last thing stereotypes about ukrainian people are there any um that you are aware of or how do you how do people from russia for example perceive ukrainians do you uh, have an idea of that or
1: Mm. Yeah, Is that's it? a good question. I never heard like any really stereotypes about Ukrainians, except for that Ukrainian women are beautiful. That's the <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> the betting most yourself ridiculous. on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, but that's very common, you know? Sometimes I tell people here that I'm from Ukraine and then they say, oh, yeah, but Ukrainian girls are beautiful and... Uh, really? Yeah, and kind and... and, and, and but, uh, yeah, that's I a guess, <laughs> <laughs> <I> don't know.
0: <laughs> Is that a thing you hear from mm-hmm. people here?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, I, I actually do sometimes, yes. And um, I think lately women in Ukraine have this kind of campaign to... Uh, I don't know, promote other other values as well. Okay Because uh, we have a lot of amazing, talented uh, businesswomen, intellectuals, uh, a lot of uh, other domains, uh, yeah. except for the physical beauty.
0: Mm-hmm. You have the feeling that they're sometimes reduced to their beauty?
1: Uh, I think so, yes. I mean, of course... You yeah, women there are beautiful indeed, but it's not the primary quality to look at. I think No there are other other things. Yeah, yeah.
0: So is it is that a, a movement or or yeah, Well, yeah, it's a f- feminist movement that is happening. Is it strong in Ukraine?
1: Mm, yeah, I think it's about um, social awareness of this stereotype and trying to do something with it. Yeah. Uh, what
0: about um, other movements, like for example the LGBTQ? How mm. how is that in Ukraine?
1: Mm. Yeah, good question. We have uh, Pride, of mm-hmm. course. We have um, some social organizations that uh, fight for the rights of uh, LGBT pu- uh, LGBTQ yeah. plus. Um,
0: and also yeah. in in Kiev, for example. Mm-hmm. And Donetsk is the second city, right?
1: Is it? No. I don't know. <laughs> Not that's I really. was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> what is, <No>. <laughs> what is
0: oh the second city? Si- Kharkov.
1: Yeah. Kharkov,
0: Kharkov second I city.
1: Think. Yeah. Or? What do you mean by second city? Like the like uh, biggest? Uh, po- uh, most biggest. populous city. Oh, I wouldn't uh, know. But we have a few big cities. Kharkiv, indeed. Um, yeah. Um, Lviv. Uh, Odessa. Um, others.
0: What are, like, the differences between those cities?
1: Well, uh, geographical location, they're all <laughs> yeah. pretty far from each okay, other. Okay, <laughs> but are they also
0: <laughs> mentally? Uh,
1: some minor
0: differences, yeah, definitely, yeah. Okay, minor difference, so nothing serious.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Because some
0: cities are more located in the east, and others are more located mm-hmm. in the west. Mm-hmm. Like... I think Odessa, for example. Yeah, it's by the sea. Is it also a city... Have you been there?
1: Yeah, once.
0: Oh, is it then... I can imagine that maybe there's a different uh, mentality yeah, there. Yeah, but
1: in Odessa, it's always been very um, international, internationally oriented because they have a harbor as well. So there are a lot of people living there, uh, not Ukrainians only, but also some historically some greek people uh, jewish people people from moldova people from turkey all over the region so it's it's really a blend odessa is a su- it's a different city there is no city like odessa in
0: Ukraine. no yeah no <laughs> and does it make it attractive to ukrainian people yeah or?
1: definitely definitely we have a lot of um um appreciation of this uh of this region yes Nice.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, last question. Mm-hmm. Do you ever plan on going back to Ukraine
1: after my studies? You mean?
0: Yeah, or s- s- at some point in your life. Um. Do you want to stay here, or whenever the situation gets better, or?
1: Yeah, that's a good question because growing up, I never thought I would leave the country. Mm. Only after this um, political crisis. And Is that also, also why you left? Mm kind of one of the reasons for sure because um i think within a very short amount of time our um local currency um devaluate yeah devaluated and um as a student especially back in the day it was really hard to find a job and um especially well-paid job so at some point a lot of people that i know left the country as well a lot of university graduates and they found their jobs abroad and um, yeah in europe but also beyond mm, if i would ever want to go back i think ukraine is a really nice country to live in the culture and the food the people the yeah it's amazing um see i'm i'm actually our listeners cannot cannot see that but i'm smiling when i talk yeah about yeah, yeah, you are. yeah. <laughs> um but uh yeah i guess we'll see it uh, all depends on the job all depends on the yeah where where you find yourself but of course when i hear about all these tensions at the border i get very upset and um living in a yeah, that's actually also something that I really appreciate in the Netherlands. It's a very safe country. Living in a safe country like the Netherlands is so valuable, so precious, so underappreciated.
0: Yeah, especially when you're not used to anything else.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah.
0: When this is all you know, when you've mm-hmm. only lived in the Netherlands and you assume kind of that your surroundings are safe.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. But. Uh, You know, there are, of course, other regions in the world also that have it maybe worse than Ukraine. And, um, yeah, just having this opportunity to live here, I think it's great. And people here, especially young people, that was also one of the cultural shocks. They have so much freedom to express themselves, to explore the world, to travel, to take gap years, to start new studies, to um, study as, as long as they would want, for example, because yeah in my country it's like, yeah you you can't waste no time. you gotta go out there in the labor market, you gotta yeah work and um, mm, it's not that easy to travel somewhere because you need visas, for example, for certain places, and uh, traveling is might be expensive as well.:
0: yeah. and that's the benefit of being in the EU
1: <laughs> And also of being in such a central country for the european union as the netherlands oh yeah yeah no true yeah
0: and and close to brussels
1: yeah if you (laughs) want (laughs) to we are very close to brussels right we
0: are yeah i think we're i think we might even be closer to brussels than to amsterdam
1: yeah we might right yeah
0: Yeah. um But that's an irrelevant fact.
1: <laughs> what an interesting. <laughs> one. No, it's actually interesting. <laughs> no, yeah, I agree.
0: Absolutely. Last question now. Yeah, what I was wondering, what language do they speak in Ukraine?
1: Ukrainian.
0: Ukrainian. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what is what kind of language? Slavic language. You said. Yeah, it
1: is a Slavic language. Yes. And
0: it's f- from the same family as, like, I mean, w- the neighboring countries also speak. Slav- yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. We all. Yeah, most of us, except for Romania, I think and moldova okay. all of our other neighbors ah, and hungary <laughs> all of our other la- yeah hungary is <laughs> yeah. Different, different, <laughs> kind. different kind <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. um slavic language
0: so you understand russian
1: <coughs> well personally i can also speak russian <coughs> you also speak russian yes, yes that's
0: what you're being taught no at school? No, no, oh, no you learnt, no. learned that yourself
1: oh uh, yeah basically pretty oh. much
0: so it's not a common thing that people from Ukraine know Russian or is it
1: um yeah i guess that depends on the region how much you use russian or not in your daily life but that's not a given given because we don't um learn it at schools we don't mm, yeah we don't uh, have like russian on the tv or in on the media anymore either just historically because uh, Ukrainian was so repressed and uh, s- yeah, it was, uh, it was um, really, you would be looked down upon if you speak Ukrainian historically. That was just the historical condition. And then, for example, the language of universities at some point became Russian in Soviet Union. So you had to learn it. And older generations, of course, they know Russian. All of them, but there is a trend among young people to actually switch back to Ukrainian also because, yeah, uh, it's it's an official language of Ukraine and it's a really beautiful language as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. and uh, that's maybe also s- since the revolution, right, that yeah, p- young people yeah. started to... Um, Come back to to Ukrainian. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and leave absolutely. Russian as a, like a second language or yeah, third, yeah. and maybe focus more on English as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. The
0: definitely. European language, yeah. uh, lingua franca.
1: Yes, but it's of course a very controversial question up until today. The relationship between Ukrainian and Russian. And uh, Russian is not suppressed, but uh, yeah, we have our own language, basically.
0: Yeah, and I can also imagine that it's. Uh, important question what language are being taught in school Mm -hmm. because that's basically a political decision Mm -hmm. in ukraine maybe in all countries but especially in ukraine if you decide to teach english then basically the government says we think it's important you learn english to communicate with other european countries Mm -hmm. instead of learn russian to communicate with russia
1: yeah absolutely but i think it's already a while well, It's been going on for a while because in my school, and I'm, again, from the 90s, mm-hmm. so ever since Ukraine has gained independence, I don't think we had Russian at schools as the teaching language unless you search for such a school specifically. Yeah. Um. But yeah, even more so these days, I think. And uh, indeed, there was a switch of uh, regaining and rediscovering of this Ukrainian identity ever since the revolution. And... Uh, yeah, it's really advanced. That's nice. Years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So
0: we'll probably only search uh, that feeling will only rise, right?
1: Yeah, I hope so. I really hope so, yes.
0: Okay, uh, what is goodbye in Ukrainian?
1: Dopobachenye. On Do of... What? Dopobachenye.
0: Dopobachenye.
1: Yeah, it means, uh, yeah, see you. Okay.
0: Dopobachenye.
1: Dopobachenye. Dopob...
0: Yeah. Okay, (laughs) thanks Natalia for this podcast. Thank you
1: very much for having me here. Bye.
0: I hope that through this impressive story of Natalia, you've learned something more about Ukraine and the current situation over there. Next week, I will talk to Sabuhi from Azerbaijan. See you there.